to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Tessine Ali, equity partner at Ernst & Young. Tess is a second-generation immigrant whose parents hail from Pakistan. He started his career at EY almost 21 years ago and has worked and earned his way to the top, overcoming every hurdle encountered along the way and becoming partner at one of the largest professional consultancy service companies worldwide, specifically at the company's Manchester office almost a year ago. With the support of his emigrant parents, Tess studied economics at the University of Manchester and started his career running a branch of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. He moved on to PwC as an associate for a couple of years until he finally decided to start his long and successful path at the company that would be his home for the next 20 years. Last year, he became a board member at Pro Manchester and he's an extremely active member of his society and EY's DEI team wanting to create more and better opportunities for the current and future generations of professionals. Tess is a tremendous advocate for wanting to inspire others to believe that no matter their background, anyone can be leaders with whatever they set out to do, and that it is never too late to stick your neck out. A main character of a success story that wants to pay it forward, as he puts it, not bad for a shy lad from Rochdale. I can't wait for you to hear what he's got to say, including some valuable insights on climbing up the corporate ladder as a person of colour. Let's get started. Hi, Tesh. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wellbeing Rebellion. It's lovely to see you here today. Lovely to see you again. I wanted, for the benefit of those who do not know you or your incredible story, I have given a brief introduction, but I wanted to hear from you a little bit about, you know, who you are, what you do, and what your journey was like getting here. And then then I'll get into the questions, if that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, I'll try and keep it brief. So I'm Tess, to everyone who knows me. Yeah, partly because it's always easier to say Tess than Tessine. Which always seems Is it? To be How do you say your name? Tessine. Tessine. Yeah. See, once you say it, it's easy. No, it is is for other people. But over the years, I'll have grown up into that thought. Okay, fair enough. We'll probably come back to more of that sort of thing later. Yeah, so I um, was born in the UK. Yeah, my parents uh, came from Pakistan in the 60s. So I'm second generation Muslim, yeah, of Pakistani origin, I suppose you would say, and Mm -hmm. grew up in good old sort of Lancashire, northwest of England. Yeah, my dad worked in a cotton mill in Lancashire. My mum never worked at all in this country. She used to be a teacher back in Pakistan, but she never worked here. And there was just my sister and I. My sister's older than me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, I guess when I go back and think about those days at school, what I remember specifically is being told to ask for extra work. That always sticks in my mind. Go and ask for extra. Stay behind after. Imagine that as a child. And your friends are all wondering what you're doing. Stay behind and ask for extra homework. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of the sort of value of education, the value they placed on education. That was really strong in my mind. So then fast forward, yeah, to me now. So audit partner at 
EY, one of the largest professional services firms in the world. Yeah, so a real contrast in terms of if you look at social mobility. Yeah, a real a real sort of change from growing up in a in a modest you know sort of household. No no car. We have no cars. So I remember that walking everywhere or getting the bus. Uh, you know, so from a social mobility point of view, real real change for me. And growing up as a as a young boy in a Muslim sort of environment, yeah, with a, quite a diverse community. But I had red hair, which obviously I've not got any left. Uh, brown hair, freckles, and pale skin. So I never really fitted in on either side. So it was quite. It was. Quite, I remember being feeling very different. Yeah, mm. no matter where I was, in whichever setting I was, I always felt very different and very. I was very shy as well. I was very shy, uh, which I know is different than being an introvert, but I was shy. Um, it took me many years, even through university. So I went to university in the Northwest as well, and I was still shy. when I, It, it was only when I left and started work at uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Cup and was thrown out into the world and basically had to go and win my own business and run my own branch. Uh, that's when I started to understand that, you know, you just need to talk to people and they'll talk back to you. So mm-hmm. that sort of journey began there. And then I started a career in professional services with a different firm and joined EY 21 years ago. Uh, and you, you make it all sound so um, easy, but wow, that is a significant trajectory. But I, I know it must have been really challenging for you at times. Uh, particularly with the level of social mobility change that you were talking about, mm. very working class Lancashire family to now one of very few uh, partners of colour at one of the leading um, professional services firms globally. So first of all, was this always your aspiration? I know your parents like like many parents who've come from um, third world countries like mine, the value of education was paramount and the importance of their children having a better future and therefore having to work for it, that was that was always there. But did you know that this was something that you could achieve? Was it something no. you aspired to? No. Uh, I think I'd be surprised if anyone said yes to that. It was in the same situation, maybe one out of many. One out of many, but I'd say no. I I I even went to, I went to university and came out and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I think their their view was always you look different. You're going to find it hard to get a job. So value of education, great tick. It never involved, you know. And, and typically in our culture, it would be aimed to be a doctor or whatever it was. But if I hadn't done the sciences, then it was obvious I wasn't going to do that. So then it was a case of uh, I think they were happy to let me just go and find my own way and I left and hence and because my best mate went to enterprise rent a car I followed him so I didn't have a lot of ambition if you think your best mate's just gone and done a job and you're gonna take a a, you know a graduate career just because he has that that was my sort of level of ambition at the time uh and it was only when I and I think this is where you need a leg up yeah, this is where you need other people looking out for you because you, the, the social circle you're in, I think, determines a lot of where your ambition comes from. So if you think of people mm-hmm. who have a lower so, sort of social uh, sort of mm-hmm. position, 
their, the social circle they're in isn't going to push them or elevate them to go for those jobs. Mm. So I think as mine started to change, I had other people in the wider family who would allow for things, for doors to open. So why don't you just go and meet the head of recruitment at such and such professional services firm? And I turn up really scared and I get a really positive sort of view from somebody. Of, oh, yeah, you, you know, you didn't do too brilliantly in your degree is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I got a 2-2. And this person was, oh, you've got three years business experience. Why don't you apply to the big four? So again, it was just almost by accident that that interview, that, that meeting was set up by my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so then it went from there. So I, I did that. And even then, you know, when I started at the professional services firm I did, out of the 60 people who started with me, there was only probably two or three who were of colour. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it helps that you don't see anyone like you. Yeah, You don't know these jobs exist. You don't see anyone like you. So your ambitions are never formed. Some people I know say, I knew I wanted to be an audit partner from the day I walked through the door. So I think I would think to myself, that was really arrogant if I'd thought like that. Yeah. And again, yeah. culturally, I'm not been brought up to be arrogant. And even when you were saying that, in that little intro you gave in the question, scaring me, giving me that imposter feeling, or oh, how did, crikey, how did I get here? Yeah. To this leading professional services firm, and, why, and when will I be found out? So I think there's always that, and that took twenty years for me. It took twenty years, you know, best part of twenty years to work through and start to realise some of the barriers I'd put up were just ones that I directed, psychological mm. barriers like I can't do this, and then I think there are other barriers that I probably didn't realise were there, mm. uh, and I tried to, in my best way, just fit in. So right. I try to ignore being brown and different and having a different social background to everyone else. So I try yeah. to fit in because I thought that's what you had to do. We all did. Yeah. Then I thought, well, if I start drawing attention to it, uh, the one time I did, I remember someone saying to me, I, I didn't know you were different. I said, well, mm. even my name, my name might give it away, even if you thought for one second. Yeah. Uh, Ali on. is is quite a, yeah, but it was like oh, you're not anyway. going to treat you any differently because you, we don't think you're different. So that was the sort of again the old fashioned view: treat everyone. You know, you've got the same. Mm-hmm. You've got the same. The, I don't see color. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly <laughs> that. So I didn't see color. Therefore, you and I. I thought that was right. Sorry, great. Mm-hmm. I, at the time, I would have thought I've got the same opportunities, but I sort of stood up and said, I, I don't actually want to be a partner. At some mm-hmm. point, I probably said that. I think I Out got loud. on a, no. In my, I think it was a leadership course that I got sent on, and mm-hmm. it was specifically for minority ethnic background and black people. And at the end of that two day course, I said I don't want to be. A, had the reverse effect on me, and I said I don't want to be a partner. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I just felt because there was things that I thought my personality doesn't lend itself to those. Things. I'm not outgoing. I haven't had some of the experiences they're talking about. I don't want to put myself forward for these things because I'll get shot down. Mm. So I retracted into, so I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I'm yeah. a senior manager, so I'm getting to, you know, a good place. And a few years later, I started to think about becoming what was an associate partner. Not not an equity partner like I am now, but an associate partner. So it's sort of, it, it's hard to describe. I can't, I, I say there's a light bulb moment. 
but that was only sort of four years ago I think that light bulb moment mm. of, why can't I do this mm. and other people are telling me I can do it so why why shouldn't I listen to those people there was something before that I just they're just saying that because they're my friends or yeah. they work for me or they want to get more out of me or there's some reason they're just saying that because people say nice things to each other and the people who aren't saying nice things are saying it behind my back so there was that and I think at some point we just go right I'm going to cut through all that clutter and they're all excuses and you just go and do it and that makes it then again that makes it sound easy again but it was well no I, I, I know exactly what you mean there, I think it's true for, regardless of what your race is. There comes a point when you decide uh, that you are ready to ignore the, the the naysayers, whether they're in your head or outside, and you're ready to go for life. Um, but it, it it it's interesting that you you talk about there came a point when you made a conscious decision to pursue the path of partnership. Was that the post? Because there was a post I saw mm. um, that was sometime in the pandemic that said you'd ha- it had given you time to think. Mm. About, is that, was that the time? Or was yeah, that I think I think um, it was probably just before that. But I think that time that came in the pandemic where it was a bit quieter, mm. I was like everyone else. I was at home and I was retracted to my windowless basement. And I started to feel actually less effective at what I was doing. But how can you be effective from down here? You're not meeting anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's actually going to be harder. But then I, I turned it on its head and thought, well, I've got just as much opportunity as anyone else to do this. What I've got is time to think. Um, and that, I think, was critical for me. It allowed me to go, right, I'm going to do it. It doesn't mean that I didn't decide many, many times I don't want to do it. Yeah this isn't for me i can't do it it is but it was a switch that came on but it doesn't mean it wasn't being switched on and off mm. Mm. And, and and that begs the question then how did you do it because as i've said to anybody who's listened to the well-being rebellion and heard my story in any of the times i shared it um i i thought i was going to be a senior leader the first female black senior leader in mm-hmm. um my old company yeah. uh, in the UK. And I tried to break the brown glass ceiling like you. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up with a God almighty headache. Yeah. So how did you do it? It's a, it's, I think it's a difficult question. It is. <laughs> it is a difficult question. It's not to say I didn't get many headaches along the way. Yeah. And, mm. you know, each of those would cumulatively did they lead you to the point where you decide not to do it and at any point I could have taken myself out of it Mm. and I found it difficult a bit at that social circle that I felt who'd spurred me on not not said why have you not become a partner but I just felt if they can do it I can do it they weren't in the same careers but you know they went on to be some of them have got some really uh, you know strong positions of leadership in the UK um and I, part of me was just didn't want to let other people down. Right. Yeah, I'm a bit like that. Once I, once I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I did get a few headaches along the way, bumps in the road, whatever you want to call them. 
and then you have to turn to your whatever you do to make you get back on whether that's talking to my wife whether that's talking to my sister whether that's just sharing it with someone or multiple people within the firm that would perhaps talk you down from that or or say oh no maybe you are right maybe that isn't for you so you, you have to work out which people mm-hmm. to go to because you depending on what answer you wanted there yeah. were people who would have talked who would have said yeah maybe it's not right for you so i sort of mm-hmm. stopped going to them whereas first of all they they'd be my first port of call and i realized oh, they're not the right people mm-hmm. so uh, it's not right for everyone is it it's not right for everyone maybe if I hadn't got that, I would have just said that's not right for me. If I hadn't made it, mm. I would have said that's it, it wasn't the right thing. Which mm. sounds a bit defeatist, but I would have said, well, okay, it's not meant to be. Mm-hmm. You know, just like everything I did along the way, I wouldn't change it. I've always said that that I wouldn't go back and change anything, a better degree or whatever it was. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do any of those things. That's that's all what makes you what you are yeah. to this point in time. You wouldn't be the same person if you went back and changed anything. Well, I mean, you bring up a, a, a fair few points that I want to talk about. That's mm. the issue with these um, interviews with great mm. guests. I always think of like three or four points that I want to talk about, and I can never remember them with my ADHD. But I do remember this. You know, you made the conscious decision. You mm. put the effort in. You made the decision. You decided not to let anyone down, and you persisted and persisted and persisted. So there's a bit yeah. about resilience. But there's also something you mentioned, which was you, it's that uh, thing of you are, is it you're the sum of the six people that you most hang around with or something like that. Okay. And you Mm. had, uh, that's me paraphrasing wildly. But you said you had some senior senior, uh, leaders in Mm. your social circle who encouraged you to continue and to, uh, to, aspire to that level um that's one thing which makes me think that's why representation matters is because it's very hard to aspire to something that you can't Mm. see so if you don't if you don't see people of color at senior levels Mm. it's very hard to aspire to be there because you don't you don't think it's possible Mm. yeah so there's that point um and we can talk about that and there was also um the headaches i wondered if and this is the one i want you mm. to ask answer okay. i wonder if any of those headaches were mental health related obviously we're a podcast that looks mm. at um mental well-being it, have you ever mm. had any issues with your mental health as a result of um think, the work that you do i think everyone will have on some level because I, th- I think the way people think of mental health, it's binary. Either you've got a mental health issue or you haven't. Well, I think there's, you know, it, it works along the spectrum. I might be fine for a couple of weeks and then I enter a phase where I'm not fine. You know, because as well as going through the partnership process, I was doing my day job. Um, I've got three young children. Uh, my father, who passed away last year, had dementia, you know, for the last mm. three years. And I was looking after him as well. So I was doing a lot of between my sister and I a lot of the she was doing a lot of the phone calls for appointments I was doing a lot of the physical front work so I think and that used to affect me quite a lot on the weekends my time to recharge was actually spent sort of emotionally drained start off quite emotionally drained on a Saturday morning before I sort of yeah managed to yeah get back in the get back in the zone so I think there are also things that you would draw strength from though as well so things that you know that I say 
I do still look on oh, I've got this to do I've got that to do I'd actually draw strength from those things and think well that's the person who helped me get here my kids are the ones I'm doing this for even though they don't always know that <laughs> appreciate it um you know yes the job is really difficult but there'll be 10 other people who would find that situation difficult you know and there was times where I was close to breaking you know either with clients or something that I thought I could have handled that better um you know and then I think I've got time to do the partnership stuff you know the yeah. hours of, of prep and my son said to me it's like oh you know my middle son was the one who took most interest he said it's like it's like you're going for a job to be a CEO um mm. the number of sort of and I just emerged from the basement because it was all in a lockdown you know oh god can you keep the noise down today and, and I've come out with probably a stress headache of having been on trying to perform trying to, yeah. trying to put all your energy into something then come out a bit deflated um so I think I, I don't know I, you know I've never really I've never thought about it in that level that you way you've asked but I think everyone does to some extent and then you have to have your coping mechanisms so what are yours to, to do I I probably those things I talked about um getting out on my mountain bike uh, mm. in the morning before everything starts and just every but, day no not every day <laughs> Gonna say, glutton day. for punishment no it? no i'd love to be one of those people who say they get up at 5 a.m and do that i, I wake up at 5 a.m anyway but that's just do you I, really you're part of the 5 a.m i'm not any club or anything i'm not advocating it to anyone it's just <laughs> my, my sleep pattern is such that i would wake up early and i feel most energized in the morning so i get lots done before okay. everyone else does that's how you made partner you got up at five every day <laughs> Uh, but that's works for me it doesn't work for anyone else and you can say oh you have to have boundaries and all this sort of stuff but it's all right until something breaks those boundaries so you can have all these rules and you say i'm not going to work past this point and that's all good but being a partner means it, it's your business so you've got to have some um you know when i think of my uncle brother who came to this country and ran his own business he was on call you know all the time and he had the same stresses i think from running his business i think well you've got to have some stress haven't you well it and it's it's a question of how much and for mm. how long yes that's the thing so yeah. even as a partner and any leaders who are listening to this mm. podcast i mean as much as you might wish it was different you're still human yeah and you still need to to down tools recharge relax switch off rest mm. in order to perform at your best yeah um i i certainly empathize though with the business owner um element and you having to be on call all the time but even even i have to recognize when i'm not doing as good a job or as efficient mm. a job as i should be yeah and i need a break and i have to factor those in so is that something that you take responsibility for mm. absolutely uh, especially as a role model to others then yeah because anyone looking up you know it's not even a case of could they get there it's do they want to get to those positions if they don't see anything that they would think i actually aspire to that other than the the reward that comes with the monetary reward they wouldn't yeah. see anything else that would bring them value so and that would mean jeopardizing my family relationships and all those things if i start to erode the quality mm -hmm. of the time I have with my family. It doesn't mean I get quantity, but I want to have quality time. It doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. So again, it's all theoretical. It's it is. Occasionally you check an email and you'll get absorbed when you're with your children. But that that that's just that's just the way it is. As long as you don't 
make that your sort of modus operandi. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's yeah. it. That's the mm. thing. That's what yeah. balance means. Doesn't mean total absence of work during yeah. leisure time, or but it does mean that you, on balance, feel mm. that you're able to to rest and mm. recuperate and play because we don't we don't um, value play enough. Mm. So that you're able to do those things enough to provide you with energy for the work. Yeah. I'd say one of the things that you were talking about um, was the, the arduous process of getting mm. to partner. Yeah. Um, how did you find the experience trying to get buy-in from the C-suite um, for your partnership? Did race come into it or did you think it was a different process to any of your white colleagues or was that a non-issue mm. always? Um, I think before I went into it, I thought that was one of the reasons I, I hadn't put my hand up beforehand because I thought it's, it's not for me. Nobody's nobody's trying to pull me up. So why are they not? Mm. I was waiting for someone to come to me. Yeah. 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 Which sort of falls into that notion of it's a tap on the shoulder, mm. it's a drinking. You've earned club. your stripes. Yeah, come, come on, come, come up. And I never had that, so I'm thinking, well, I'm not in this club. And and how dare you? Many years later, decide you want to be part of it. So yeah. you know, we never had grand plans for you. This is all, I think, you know, ninety percent of it was in my head. And yeah. you know, it wasn't until a partner who joined us from another office. Um, from our Aberdeen office came and joined us and I he was quite quiet and and uh, I sort of got to know him quite well after a few years and when I, I said to him I fancy being having a go at this partnership and he said I've been waiting for you to say it mm -hmm. and that was the first time I'd had such a positive response that was positive to me you know he's like I've been dying for you you know to say this and, and this will happen and he never he never sort of gave up belief in me. And it wasn't just that he, he had nothing to lose by just, you know, I he would give me the the opportunities and then, I, and then pick me up after the, if I'd had a bruising call with someone or a, a session, you know, I'd know I could get to him and, and vent uh, things that I necessarily wouldn't with other people. So I think you need someone like that who's quite human in the process and b believes in you and... Race never came into it, and I know that's going back to that colorblind. He never said he was colorblind, but race never came into it, mm -hmm. other than me deciding to say it for the first time. So I thought I'm going to say it. So the things I said at the start of this podcast about the differences and my cultural background, I I decided to say that for the first time, and I think to who? in in my panel in the presentations, so okay. the people that I was you know, that ultimately would make the decision, yeah, would know these things about me because they'd never known before. And that's not because someone said, uh, we think you should do that. Or if someone said, I don't think you should do that, I was content to say, well, I think I am. So for the first time, I was making a decision to do something and I was recognising that I wasn't part of their the same background, you know, the same social background. And also I wasn't trying to hide it. And I wasn't shy about about stating it, whereas before I would have been in case it was in case somebody viewed it as well. He's just trying to get 
he's just trying to get a position because of the color of his skin mm. you know that that was always there yeah. you know that's what i think you have to battle with if you if you're a as well because well now that there's a focus on d and i yeah, you're just playing the race yeah I'm just playing the race card. So there was all yeah. then you've got so many things going on that you would cause that you would just stress yourself out and you would never do anything or you would burn out just by virtue of worrying about what everyone else is thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, almost didn't follow my own advice and just thought, right, forget that all that. I'm just doing this. Mm-hmm. And I've asked twenty people, but ultimately it's my decision. So I'm gonna do it. Because you can keep asking everyone lots of advice. <laughs> People always have good advice to give you, but ultimately you just have to be the one who sits down with a cold towel on your head and decide what you're going to do. So was it well received? Um, it was. It gave me some of those headaches we talked about. Yeah, so I think well received in, in a polite environment that we're in, you know, no one could say to your face that it's not the right thing, but it's what they do behind closed doors to get you there that mm. I think matters then. You know, are they going to do what it takes to get me there? Am I going to, if, if I do what it takes, then are they going to do what it takes? And I think, so I think, I think, yes, it was well received because I'd been building up and doing the things for the last few years anyway that probably looked out of place. Well, if you're not going to be a partner, why are you doing this other why are you doing this other stuff it's almost strange that you would do it you know go out and win new work and enjoy doing it you know enjoy winning new audits and enjoy taking part in those and enjoy leading and and that sort of stuff and it was almost if you don't do this what are you going to do instead so i was surprised at some of the reactions and not and some of the people who there was one partner who said to me there was a 20% chance, you know, when I'd asked him two years previous to that. Out of curiosity, and it's someone I knew well, and I didn't tell him why I wanted to speak to him. So I'll get him cold. So what do you think? Yeah. And he said, 20% chance, off the top of his head. And I just locked that away for a couple of years. Thinking, mm, yeah, 20% is not high, is it? You know, no. and and then and then he was he was a supporter in the end. Yeah. But I think there's also a bus mentality, isn't there? Once people get on the bus, then you don't want to be the one that's not on it so if you get enough people supporting mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. then the others have to the others have to get on the bus because unless there's an obvious reason why people play a game don't they i'm not saying i'm not saying that about ey this is this is yeah, a podcast going out to businesses in general isn't it if you can get enough mm-hmm. people on there you don't have to convince 100 percent of people you just mm-hmm. need to convince 85 percent just need to get a critical mass. You do. But, mm. but that just leads me to another thought, which is we've talked about the headache from yeah. smashing the brown glass ceiling. And when I was speaking to someone the other day about this, um, I was actually saying that it's some it's it's one thing for me to try and break the brown glass ceiling. That's mm-hmm. fine. Nine times out of ten, the person will fail. It's another thing as a person who is, is at that, that leadership position to, in fact, reach down and pull me through. Yeah. That, that is actually what is required if we're to move the needle and mm. get more representation at board level is to stop saying, let's empower people to, at the bottom to climb up. Yeah. 
without also saying, and let's uh, uh, let's re and empower people at the top. Mm. To yeah, it's too hard to it's up. too hard to just say we're going to supercharge everyone at the bottom. Yeah, they don't know they can do it. They don't even know those jobs exist, as we said before. So how are they even going to get into the organisation once they're in? That is not enough. You're completely right. And that's one of the things that would have kept me going. Obviously, I did this for, you know, for me, for my family. But then there's a bit that goes beyond that that you almost can't describe, which was, right, those people who wanted me to get here, now it's my turn to help them as well and then yeah. you know and somebody who's left and has become a cfo in a business in the northwest he didn't stay within ey but he you know i almost felt my duty to make sure i helped him and give him advice you know, if he asked me you know that mm -hmm. i'd go out of my way to to spend time with that person and then to look at the, we've got a very diverse organization so I've got a really diverse team. So, but that's not the same as you know as being inclusive and as being equitable. So, mm -hmm. that is my then right. How do I yeah. create the opportunity, an equal opportunity? So when I have my next pitch that I do, am I going to take someone who's never done this before, who's just come across from you know six months ago from India, mm -hmm. and you know doesn't fit the normal sort of stereotype of who we might turn up? you know, at the pitch with. So it's it's obviously easy to say you've just, you've got to be true to that because the minute you forget that, then I think you just, <laughs> you know, yeah. then you've just not done it for the right reasons, you know, and I think I would find yeah. it really hard to live with myself if I just thought, oh, I've come up now, pull up the drawbridge and that's it. And, you know, I need a, and and even if you think there's lots of barriers to break down at EY and all the organizations, there's no organizations that, that can say, yeah, we're, we're doing everything fine. Lots of barriers, but I, my sort of overriding point would be, well, I can break them down more from a position of leadership than I could if I'd stayed where I was. Yeah. So it was my responsibility to get there. And now I'm there and I'm on the wall looking out to see, right, what am I going to do about it? Which is, which is harder. I know you and I have talked about some of the things yeah. and having the time and energy to do those things. Some of them are just in your day-to-day -day interactions, but there's only one of me. And I've only, you know, even if I said I'm going to mentor 20 people and you said, oh, that's great, you know, where are you going to get the time to do it? And how are you going to influence beyond those 20? And I think that's the harder bit of... How do I use the voice I've got now to amplify that across not 20, but 2,000 people or 2,000 organisations? And that, I think, will be the harder bit for me uh, as to how you would do that. And yet it is the responsibility that anybody in a, in a, a leadership position who is a person of colour will feel. We mm. all know that we stand on the shoulders of giants and we need to help empower the next generation to have an easier ride of it than we did mm. uh, and it's finding out how we can use whatever authority and influence we have and amplify that a hundred times yeah. over um uh, and it's it's certainly it's not it's not a quick fix and it's not one easy answer but no, at least all. having the intention and keeping it in mind is is more than i need to be reminded yeah you need to be reminded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To remind that's, yourself. That's so, uh, so uh, as a last note, we know mm. that you're really involved with lots of 
charitable events and initiatives. Mm -hmm. You've raised money um, back in the day by running the Manchester Marathon. Mm -hmm. Did you run it this year? No, it was a one-off. It was a one-off. Yeah, one-off, mm -hmm. never doing it again. My never again. Forgive me. Exactly. Um, is there any movement or initiative that you're involved with at the moment that you'd like to share with us? Um, within EYI, I, we have a charitable foundation, the EY Foundation, so that I am really involved in that, and that's championing young people, which I think is even more important because of the lockdown and, and the pandemic. Yeah, and and for those reasons that we've talked about before yeah. as well, because they're social circles and and taking those people, and these are people from you know uh, different social backgrounds you know but really giving them leave not to get a position with any why but to to think about the sort of jobs they could get and to arm them and to arm the organizations to think about can we change to employ people not how do the how does the individual change to get a job which is the sort of thinking that would have happened 10 years ago how do i rewrite your cv how do i work with the organizations to make them more receptive to people who don't look like the majority of the people or sound like or come from the same background so it's changing both halves of the equation so that to me is what our smart futures program does which is just give young people two weeks in our organization and shows them a glimpse of what it's like and arms them with yeah and arms those other organizations so i really i really champion that and i always get involved in in, in, in madcap charity events that come along as well and if anyone pings me i'm probably likely to say yes because it's a diversion and as you said, yeah, you forget about the fun bits that you should be getting involved in. So it's good to have fun. Keeps you uh, keeps you sane and yeah, energized. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah. And the last question that I ask all is going to be a hard one. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's the, this is mm. supposed to be the fun light one. Okay. You've talked all about racism and breaking okay. the brown glass. Right, I good. mean, this is this good, is the good. easy one, Tess. Mm -hmm. um, as a fellow well-being rebel, which I know you are, mm. real champion of mental health and well-being, mm -hmm. um, what is the one change that you'd like to see implemented in workplace well-being? I don't think that is there. Always, is there any answer to what when you say one thing? It's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. No, just your personal pick. No, I think I think educating people who. Uh, in a position to influence it comes back to that same thing as before rather than saying to young people coming in oh you need to make time for yourselves or you need to switch off and go out for a run and walk every day which i think you can fall into that trap you think, well actually then you're at the other end of the spectrum you're giving them lots of work to do and giving them deadlines yeah. so it's a bit just yeah. so i think you need to approach it with a level of honesty first of all and educate and arm the people in positions of leadership to think well, they're not going to believe you. <laughs> yeah, they can see through the bullshit. And yeah. yeah, you just got to speak from a position of honesty. So, you know, having someone like me turn up and say stuff, I think, yeah, even then recognizing that oh, I'm different than the person I used to be. So I'm not in tune and touch with, you know, so you're almost a level of education and recognition that, yeah, you can't just say stuff and expect people to follow you. You have to you have to live and breathe this stuff, and they have to see it. I'm not sure how you could implement that in a HR policy, oh. but I don't think you can implement it in policy. I do think that's all about, like you said, um, raising 
understanding. I don't like saying raising awareness because that just means mm. I stick a poster on and they're yeah. done. But increasing level of understanding amongst the senior mm. leadership. And you do that through coaching and training. Yeah. Um, that's simply it. But because the old days of do as I say, not as I do, don't work. Yeah. If you're if you're saying, oh, it's so important for you to have time for yourself. But what you're doing is reducing the work f- workforce without reducing the workload then um, mm. you know left hand right hand <laughs> so yeah. yeah i think that's a really that's a good show yeah good yeah fantastic so thank, oh, thank you, you so much well, thank Tess, you I enjoyed for it. your time today um mm-hmm. and was it painful for your first ever podcast interview no i i enjoyed it maybe i shouldn't have done but i, I quite enjoyed it no you yeah. should time mm-hmm. spent with me is a pleasure well it has been a pleasure mm-hmm. and delight from thank my you so perspective much. so thank you mm-hmm. so much for your time today and um yeah i'll see you soon see you soon thanks for listening to this episode of the well-being rebellion if you liked what you just heard please share it with your colleagues follow us on linkedin the link will be in the show notes and generally show us some love We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.